0: Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me today. Hope you're having a wonderful Sunday morning. You have your cup of coffee in hand or maybe don't donut in the other hand, and you're ready to just kind of delve into some things that I hope will inspire you and help me to hit the target, which is to bring us all to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now this morning, I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace. Can I do that? Uh, Last Sunday morning, I said that that third part on the teaching that I was doing on the gospel without doctrines I said would be the last part. We'd move on this morning. I can't do it. I got one more. I got one more part to drop And I feel like I really need to emphasize this because there's a huge shift right now that's going on Within the body of Christ some are realizing it some are not realizing it But there's a huge shift that is taking place especially among grace people among people that understand the finished work of the cross and the unconditional love of the Father and the universal fatherhood that he is the Father of all people. There's a shift going on and the major shift today that is going on is a shift away from a set in concrete theology, a set in concrete doctrinal system, to a love walk, to following the pattern that Jesus laid down for us. And that's what I want to explore this morning as I've dropped this fourth message, and I promise you this will be the last one. I just got this burden that I want my people, everyone that's associated with me at the Digital Cathedral on the Secret Place, I just want this to burn within your heart like it's burning within mine because I see this gospel without doctrines beginning to shift our attitudes, the way we see things, the way we see other people, the way we see other people that believe something different than what we have been led to believe all of our our lives. Now if if we go back to that first teaching that I did on the Gospel Without Doctrines, you remember we established two things. There was only one statement of faith in the early church. That first century church did not have an organized, systematic theology. There was basically one statement of belief that they held to and they unified around it. And the statement was Jesus is Lord. And the only the only outline of any kind of set in concrete doctrine or theology that they had was the statement of Jesus to love one another, even as he's loved us. And I'll probably read that a couple of times this morning because that's a that's a tremendous love. It's a one way love. It has no conditions, has no limits, no boundaries, no qualifications to it. It's just one way from him to us. And he said, that's how I want you to love. I want you to love other people on a one-way love, regardless of what they do, they say, they act, because people act up, don't they? People are cruel, they're vindictive, judgmental. And Jesus said, in spite of that, I want you to really love them. So I apologize. I apologize this morning. I hope you stick with me. I want to drive this home just a little bit further. And what I see, on this gospel without doctrines, it, it, it brings the gospel into being very practical. It makes the gospel, um, the kingdom, the message of inclusion, unconditional love, the fatherhood of God. When we, when we begin to have a gospel without set doctrines, and I, and I, every time I say set doctrines, I see concrete. They're so firmly fixed that we don't move off of it. Whenever we begin to hold on to the gospel, the good news, the proclamation, of what Jesus has finished for all humanity, it brings this message down into the practicality of living it out. It brings it into everyday life. It, it brings it into living the entirety of the grace message. I don't think you can live this grace message unless you, you embrace the love that I'm speaking about this morning. So if you feel in your heart and you see the shift, maybe even feel the shift within yourself, and you're kind of putting all your theology and doctrines and listen, I'm a guy that loves theology. I love doctrines. I love establishing truth from God's word that helps me to set, you know, a belief in place. But as I set that on the back burner and I just bring it down, boil it down to two things. Jesus is Lord and learning to love other people the same way that Jesus loves us. It brings the message into right down into the place where we live. It gives us something we can practice. If you wonder how to practice the kingdom, this is it. We're talking about kingdom reality. We're talking about something you can renew your mind to. Let's, let's make a decision here to Digital Cathedral. Let's make up, let, let's come to an agreement that we're going to renew our minds to the, the priority that Jesus is Lord. Now, to all of us, that's going to mean a little bit something different. I talked to Malcolm Smith about that this week and because he, he heard me teach this message. I rolled it out in Grand Rapids a few weeks ago, and he heard me teach it. And, he, and we went to lunch after that um, on a trip he made to Houston. And he said, I've really been thinking about that. And he says that the, the term Jesus is Lord means different things to different people. And I realized that whatever it means to you, the spirit of truth is going to bring us to that place. Remember in Ephesians 4.13, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do seven or eight things. And one of them in there was to bring us to a unity of the faith. Not, not a unity of theology, not a unity of doctrine, but a unity of the faith. I think when we boil that down and later in the teaching this morning, I want to define the difference between... A belief and faith because there's a huge difference there and I want us to to realize that understand this morning before I get done with the teaching but I want to go back to that Ephesians 4 13 he said till we all come to the unity of the faith so the road that I feel the spirit of truth is taking believers down today is to come to this this juncture where we say okay here's here's what we can here's what we can rally around Jesus is Lord and we love one another uh, as he loved us, we will never hit a unity of the faith. I think until those two th- until those two things are well established within within our within our thinking, that we've renewed our minds to it. And I'm willing to to look at a Calvinist or an Arminian, which I think are gigantic heresies, by the way, personally. But if if they're proclaiming Jesus is Lord and they're demonstrating a love walk, you know what? I need to embrace that, not embrace the doctor. I need to embrace the person. And know that they have a unity of the faith with me. Now, Paul got Paul got this love thing down. I want to I want to just take the love today. I a lot of us, I think it's self-explanatory, Jesus is Lord. And maybe one Sunday I'll I'll go down some different streams of what that can mean for different people. But today I want to stick right on that love walk. It came as a gigantic revelation to Paul. Paul said this from that love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably one of the most powerful chapters in all of the New Testament. And we read this, but I don't think we look at it in terms of being a practical walking out in everyday life. Here's what he said. He describes this love that we're talking about this morning, this Jesus kind of love, which had never hit the planet before Jesus came. Nobody, nobody loved this unconditional, unreserved, no boundary, one way love. Here's how he describes it. Love suffers long in is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. Jesus help us. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he drops the bomb in verse eight when he says love, never fails. A lot of what we believe is based on the fact that God is love and we know that that love of God, God is love and he cannot fail. When he said, for example, I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him would be saved. That word might is a bad word. You can toss it out. It's a bad translation. A better one would would be would. Send not a son into the world to condemn it, but so that the world through him would be saved. When love speaks that, when love instills that, it cannot fail. It has to see the absolute completion, no matter the duration, no matter the resistance, no matter the kickback, pushback, those that would say, I want no part of it. It has nothing to do with his love. His love is already firmly uh, affixed and he's already rolled it out. And that's just the way it's gonna be. So one of the most radical things that Jesus said and demonstrated was the total emphasis that he placed on love. Unconditional. It's agape. It's not, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's not, if you can do for me, I really love you. It's unconditional. Runway street. It's given to us whether we we request it, whether we desire it, whether we acknowledge it or not. He said, Jesus said in his teaching and, and in living it out, he said this new and greatest and only command was love. Now, by saying that, the directive that he gave was very simple, very simple. He said, love God and love your neighbor, even if your, even if your neighbor would appear to be your enemy. Now, I've told you this, is, this gets down where we live because this, this comes against our, our natural inclinations that have been developed by our culture our culture is more of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. You do me wrong, I do you wrong. You do me wrong, I, your, your fate is sealed with me. You might as well be dead. I have nothing to do with you. I've shut you off. That's pretty much how the world operates. And that's how some of our families ingrained in us to think. Maybe our grandfather, our grand uh, great-grandfather, or maybe our dad, whatever, exampled that for us, that he just wrote them off. They double-crossed him, he wrote them off. They were an enemy. Jesus said something entirely different. Jesus said in John chapter 13, now do you understand why I'm digging a little bit further into this? Because we're talking about the gospel without doctrines. Now the gospel is the proclamation of good news. It can only be good news. It can be no bad news in the good news if it's the gospel. Part of the proclamation of the gospel of good news is that there's an unconditional love attached by those that are Christ followers. Now here's what Jesus said. John chapter 13 verse 34. John chapter 13 verse 34. He said a new commandment I give to you. This is a brand new one. And by giving it giving it now it supersedes every other command that had ever been given to man. New command I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you may love one another. right. So in that 34th verse, he says, this command I'm placing above every other thing, every other, every other command, every other belief, every other uh, theology, every institution, every system, every um, structure. He said, I'm taking this that you love one another as I've loved you and I'm, I'm, I'm superseding. He's talking to Jews. He said, I'm superseding it above the 613 laws that Moses gave. Isn't it amazing? Moses started with 10 and then he came out with another uh, 600 plus laws to try to keep the 10. Pretty much how church operates, isn't it? Church, church looks at, at scripture and then it comes up with a whole bunch of laws to help you keep what is very simple. And That's where it all gets very complicated. That's why I feel like the shift today, I feel like it, it's that time in history when the spirit of truth is bringing us back to very simplistic things. Very simplistic. You don't have to have a a degree. I have an undergraduate degree in Systematic Theology. That degree in Systematic Theology in 80 cents gets me a cup of coffee, a senior cup of coffee at McDonald's. really doesn't mean anything anymore because the Spirit of God is doing a new thing and he's bringing us into a unity of the faith. And the unity of the faith, I think, is going to is going to have an access, an axis not an access, an axis. You know, what the earth spins on an axis. Of Jesus his Lord and to love one another even as Jesus loved us. So he's taking this word love and he's removing from the center point or the priority point everything else. And he makes no exceptions. You don't find any exceptions to the love of Jesus. There, there, he doesn't exclude any group. He doesn't exclude an enemy. He doesn't even exclude tormentors. It was the love of Jesus when he was being crucified. It was the love of Jesus when he was being tortured. It was his love that was able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a a great statement for us today to be able to look at somebody that has wronged us, taken advantage of us, stolen from us. You had any of that? You ever given money to somebody that asked you for a loan? You loaned it to them. They never say anything about it again. You got any relatives like that? Some of you have because you've, I've counseled people that have said, I don't know what to do. I loaned a a family member money and they've never said anything about it again. Never loan something if you can't just give it. All right, when you you loan it, have the mentality you're giving it to them. That's how love works. Love doesn't ask for it back. Love doesn't ask for a response. Now if they pay it back or give it back or reciprocate in some way, that's great. That's fine. But love love demands nothing in return. It gives and it continues to give. Now here's the powerful point. Not only did Jesus teach this kind of love, he lived this kind of love. He exampled it for us and in living it, he fully re- reflected the love of the Father. The Father looked at us and said, I don't know how I can express my love for my creation. I don't know how I can possibly help them to see all this stuff they came up with in the Old Testament attributing to me, murders and rapes and all kinds of stuff that happened the taking of sl- I mean, there was a lot of bad information put out about the Father that was totally opposite of the love that he really had for us. Father says, I'm not sure how to do that. So I'm going to come myself in a flesh form. When Jesus walked this message out, when Jesus walked out the teaching that I'm giving you this morning, he was showing us exactly how the father loves us. There's no difference in the love that Jesus has and the love that the father has. So whenever you see um, a line of demarcation that is being taught between the, the love of Jesus and the love of the father, that's a false teaching the love of the father was fully demonstrated and lived out. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It look, the father could have just said, I forgive him. In fact, he did. He said their sins and their transgressions. I remember no more. He gave himself, he gave himself to show that he would rather die than be separated from us. And his death closed any separation that man had in his mind toward God. God was never separated from us. Paul said that we were alienated and separated in our minds, because of wicked works. We didn't fathom how how a father could love us if we double crossed him. How a father could love us if we didn't follow what he said. How a father could, we didn't understand the one-way love, the best love that man had up until the time of Jesus was a a, a phileo, a, a, a brotherly love. I love you, and you love me, and that's. That's how that works. That was the highest form of love that man had. So here comes Jesus and he introduces a brand new word, brand new kind of love. When he says agape, the father through the son, elevated love, not just by their words, but by their actions above every other law, every other rule, everything else that had ever been established. Father said, look, I'm gonna demonstrate the love that I have for you through my son and this kind of love is what I want you to begin to show other people. Can you see how when this is turned loose, it's stirring in our hearts. We look at it sometimes and we think, man, this is impossible. There's no way I could ever lift love to that level. I agree you can't. It takes, it takes a, a impartation from the Holy Spirit, from the spirit of truth to bring you into that place. All right. let me, me, Jesus helped us know how to live this out. So it's a matter now of of a work within us that enables us to outwardly demonstrate it. For example in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I often call that the Constitution of the Kingdom. You want to know how to live in the Kingdom? How to move out of this set theology, this set and concrete uh, doctrines that we've been so ingrained with? Matthew 5, 6, and 7 tells us how to put boots on the ground, how to walk this message out, how to live in the kingdom, how to impact our world with the love of God. It's the constitution of the kingdom. I probably should define that word constitution because I use it. A constitution are the fundamental principles, fundamental principles by which a nation is governed. We have a constitution in the United States that outlines the way that our country is to be governed. There is a way that the kingdom of God is to be governed and it's laid out in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You ought to read that and just, just contemplate, it, just meditate. It. Let it sink in. Let it change you. A constitution, again, are the fundamental principles by which a nation is governed. How to live, how to manifest the kingdom, how, how to demonstrate the kingdom is laid out in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and most of chapter 7. So in, in, in that fifth chapter, just when he begins to launch this teaching, he unveils the heart of the Father. I've not heard this, I've not heard this taught too much, except just reading it in passing. But here's the heart of the Father. And here's the heart. If we're going to love as he loved, here's the heart that has to come within us as well. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Once again, as always, I read a lot of Bible. I'm a Bible guy. I know it's not infallible, I know it's not inerrant, but it sure does contain a lot of truth. And what I find with the Bible is that when I read it, the spirit of truth launches from it. It's like a springboard. You you jump on this and it springs you into some revelation truth. I never never really considered this before, but here's the heart of the Father. Here's the heart of one that loves without discrimination. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Jesus said this, he said that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He said, all right, here's how father's going to act. And if you want to manifest as a son, here's how, here's how you are to live. Now watch what he says, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. No, no separation, no them and us. He doesn't draw a line of demarcation between the good and the evil and the just and the unjust. I don't know about you, but that's going to take take an adjustment in my thinking. I understand the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of self-determination where I look at something, say it's good, it's evil, it's right, it's wrong. I understand that the tree of life only contains life. I understand one of the branches off of that tree of life says that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Now, he, he does, in verse 43, 44, he gives you one of those, um, therefore I say unto you, you know, you've heard it this way, but I say, let, let me back up and read that for you real quick, because then it, it even comes into focus a whole lot better. Verse 43, says, You have heard that has been said, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, and do good to those that despitefully use you. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, when you do verse 43 and verse 44, when you don't hate your enemy and love your neighbor, but when you love your enemies... When you bless those who curse you, can you see how this, this is going to make you stick out like a sore thumb to the world, especially the church world. Church world does not follow this. Hey, when it comes down in the church world, if you don't believe like, I believe you're my enemy, that's got to go out the window. It's got to go out the window. We're coming back to a place where the only, only line of, of, of living is that we love one another as he loved us. And the proclamation we make is that Jesus is Lord. So he said, I say to you, I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you and pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons. This is how sons live. We can go all all we want to about manifesting sonship, but until we're willing to take some of this stuff in, this is all part of loving your neighbor as yourself. When you do somebody wrong, it's, <laughs> you can excuse it. You got a reason, bless God. You know, they had it coming to him, that you may be sons of your father. And he, he makes the rain to fall on the just, the unjust, puts the sun shining up on the good and the evil. He makes absolutely no determination. In that 45th verse, he is saying there's no insider, there's no outsider. He doesn't limit the sun and the rain to a particular theology. He doesn't say, if you're a Calvinist, then um, I'll shine the rain and bring the, I'll, I'll shine the sun and bring the rain. If you're an Armenian or you've prayed the magic prayer, that's what's going to inspire me. He, 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 that's not the way love works. And he's bringing that into our life. He's rolling out a mindset and a lifestyle that will that will hit that Ephesians four thirteen, bring us into a unity of the faith. Now your end time theology may be different than mine. Your eschatology may be different than mine. Your, your mode of baptism may be different than mine. I, I don't even baptize people anymore. I, I, I just, I don't see, I, where I'm at is I don't see the purpose in it. If, if, you, if somebody wants to be baptized, I used to baptize them. But I didn't make a big deal out of it because it didn't seem to really change the heart. Now if somebody desired it and it would be a life-changing experience for them, by all means however they want. I didn't care if I sprinkled them, immersed them, put a wet washcloth on their head, however they wanted. That was fine because it was work of transformation for them. The Father doesn't love and care for us because we earn it or we merit it or we deserve it. That's exactly what he's saying in Matthew chapter 5 verse 44, 43, 44, and 45. Actually, he loves all of us exactly the same. He blesses all the same, gives grace to everybody equally. There's no difference. His love doesn't draw lines. Uh, That's just the way he chose to be. And can I say maybe that's just the way We need to choose to be just like that. Slice it, dice it, cut it however you want to. Put the teaching of Jesus under a microscope throughout the Gospels, and you'll see the the current, the line that runs through the teaching of Jesus and the lifestyle of Jesus, A to Z, is this unlimited love he demonstrated to people that had no bounds. Had no bounds, absolute no bounds. Now, his critics challenged him on some things. His critics challenged him on his inability, or not his inability, that's that's phrasing it wrong, on his lack of desire to keep the law when when somebody's welfare was at stake. Okay, let let me show you this. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Jesus was not a law man. He was not a doctrine man. He was not a theology buff. Oh, he knew it, he studied it, he, he could quote it, but it's not what guided his life, okay? Matthew, Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. He was challenged about some of this. Mark chapter 2 verse 23, came to pass that he went, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and as they went his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. They were hungry. That was a need. They were hungry. It was a human need. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read that David did when he was in need and hungry? He, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread. That was a no-no. He ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those that were with him. Now watch verse 27. And he said, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was to serve man. Man was not to serve the Sabbath. There's still people that ain't serving serving the Sabbath. See, now if you wanna serve the Sabbath, if you wanna go to church on Saturday, if you don't wanna go to church, if you go on Sunday, don't go on Sunday, that's all fine with me. Here's what I'm after. I'm after you and I agreeing that Jesus is Lord and that we're beginning to demonstrate the love for one another in spite of some differences. Jesus died for those Pharisees. He, he wanted to demonstrate to the Pharisees as much as anybody else and he, he, didn't, he didn't lambast them. He just began to show them what the love was all about. Therefore the Son is also Lord of the Sabbath. Matt look Jesus knew he. St- Jesus was a pot stirrer, You know what I mean by that? He knew what he was doing on the Sabbath day. He he could see they followed Jesus. He could see that they were looking to find a fault with him. They, they, he, he, they wanted to correct his beliefs. They wanted to correct his orthodox theology. But Jesus said those things take a back seat. There is no theology, there is no doctrine that is so important that it should take a front seat to meeting the needs of people and loving people. We know no man after the flesh. I know no man, I'm learning this, I'm learning. I don't know any man after his Calvinistic Arminian theology, I'm learning to see past that. He's stirring in us, he's stirring in us a love and the, and the love will always meet needs. Meeting needs becomes the priority. All right, let me read another real quick uh, illustration on this. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I may not get all through this this morning, but I'm going to get as far as I can go. And I think I'm 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 emphasizing what I want to emphasize. I'm feeling better already. Okay? Like, okay, I backed the truck up and I dumped the whole load that the Holy Spirit wanted me to dump in this little series that I'm doing on Gospel Without Doctrines. Matthew or Luke chapter 13, and let me pick it up with verse 10 through 17, again illustrating how Jesus met needs. That was his priority. Remember Luke chapter 4 when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted. He went through about eight things right there, and they all had to do with meeting the needs of people. That's our call. That's our mission. That's what we're on this planet to do, to manifest the kingdom by meeting the needs of people. I'm preaching good this morning. Luke chapter 13 verse 10. Here Jesus sets it up again. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So you know, you know the the religious people are watching him. But there was something about him. He, they brought him in and he was teaching on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Boy, when somebody has been troubled with something for 18 years, my heart goes out to them. I want to see something happen. And she was bent over and could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed in them, and not on the Sabbath day. Doesn't that just smack of religion at its worst? We have a doctrine. We have a theology. And their theology was, you got six days to work, you got six days to be healed, you don't get healed on the, on the seventh day. That's not according to where our belief system is. So that was taking the priority over meeting the needs of people. And that's not what Jesus came to demonstrate. The Lord answered him, you hypocrite, Does does not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water You're meeting the need of that animal. Come on, Mr. Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Scribe, uh, Jesus called him hypocrite. He said, you break it, but that's excused. See, see, we got doctrines, but we've got ways that we can kind of bend them and get around if we, if we need to. So Jesus was pointing that out, that they were willing to meet. Listen, they were willing to meet the need of an animal, but not a person. That's not what Jesus came to do. That's not his love. That's not the way he demonstrates. And ought not this woman, Jesus said, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound these 18 years, shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Now this resonated with people. This is a powerful point in this little little passage here. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. I'm telling you when we start to walk in this love that Jesus gave us, all the pushback that we've had because now we've broken off from grace or broken off to grace from religion, we're now embracing unconditional love, fatherhood of God, when we start, when we really walk this message out and the Spirit of God does a work within us that empowers us to be able to do it, because frankly we can't do this kind of stuff on our own. we just don't have the ability. We need a spirit infused ability and a, and a and a power to be able to do this. But his adversaries were put to shame and the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things which were done by Jesus. See, <clears throat> people are gonna recognize. People, rec- people know what freedom is. People know what bondage is. When you begin to, to, to be motivated with grace and truth and love, And we walk this out. We absolutely walk it out. That 17th verse, those that oppose us will be put to shame. And those that see the walk, those that see the fruit of what we're doing are gonna praise God. They're gonna thank God for it. Now this multitude probably were in church. They were in church as was their custom on the Sabbath day. But when they saw the liberty, saw the freedom that Jesus demonstrated by meeting the needs of that woman, a heart of love and compassion, they were moved by it. I'm telling you, a unity of the faith comes when simply Jesus is the Lord and we love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now love was not only, I think you're getting the message this morning, love was not only the teaching of Jesus, and it shouldn't be just our teaching, but the core of it was the demonstration of his life. He demonstrated all the time. I'm I'm thinking right now of the time. Remember when the the children were making a lot of noise and the disciples sent them away because they were making a disturbance? What did Jesus do? Jesus demonstrated love. He said, bring those kids here. And he put them on his knee, gathered them around them and began to to teach them and talk to them. Do Do you remember when the disciples saw the hungry crowd? Jesus was teaching all day. I mean, things were good and Jesus shut it down. He was done teaching. And the disciples came to him and said, Lord, these people are hungry. Let's send them away that they can go down to um, Chick-fil-A, that they can go over and get a Whopper because they're hungry. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Set them down and put them in groups of of 50. And he fed them. He met their need. See, the heart of love meets needs. The heart of love doesn't send people away. Do do you remember when um, Zacchaeus, he was not well liked in the city. Tax collector, made a lot of money, rich guy. And he's, trying, he's come out to see Jesus and the, everybody was poo-pooing him and, and pushing him away and making fun of him. And he climbs up in a tree to see Jesus and the crowd did, did not show approval to Zacchaeus. Jesus looks at him, says, come down from the tree. Watch what he said. He said, I'm going to your house for dinner. This love that Jesus demonstrated, this love that is stirring in our heart acts exactly opposite of our culture and and what what we have called the religious norm. See, Religion has influenced our culture a lot in the way that we treat people. Religion does not love on people. Religion separates and divides and causes strife among people. I could, I could go on with story after story in the life of Jesus in the Gospels, but the point in every case is this. Love overrides culture. Love overrides beliefs. Love overrides in the life of Jesus in his action social position or religious standing. The driving force with Jesus was love. It's the thing he passed on. It's the thing that he gave to the disciples with no holds barred. Let me read another scripture, John chapter 13, verse 35, John chapter 13 and verse 35. He says, by this, he's speaking to his disciples, right? This this is coming down to the end of Jesus life. And when you come to the end of your life, you want to impart before you depart. Everything that you have. I want to I want to give my grandkids every little fragment of wisdom and understanding and insight that I have. I want to make sure that I give to them. And the last the last thing that you do if your parents and you've ever your children get old enough you can leave them home by themselves and you're going out for the evening, the last instructions you give them are the things you for sure want them to remember. Don't open the door for strangers. Uh, I don't want you to leave the house. But you know, you've got a whole list of things The food is already there. All you gotta do is microwave. Everything you want them to remember, you tell them at the end. You're imparting before you depart. So Jesus is at the end of his time and he wants to impart to the disciples. They may not have understood it. They may not have grasped it fully, but he wanted to plant this seed in them in this 35th verse of John chapter 13. And he says this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. Not because you have a perfect systematic theology, not because your doctrine is all straight. Not not because you've got a belief system that is impeccable, right? Nobody can nobody can give you a scripture that disproves your belief system. He said none of that. None of that. The world isn't impressed with any of that. This is this is the greatest tool of evangelism that the world has ever seen get us not utilized. Instead we pass out chick tracks, give them four spiritual laws. We give them the evangelism explosion years ago. You know, if you were to die and stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? We use all those things. And Jesus said, it just comes down to this. All the world will know. Do you want the world to know Jesus? I'm coming back. The only real statement of faith and theology that we have, Jesus is Lord, love one another as I have loved you. One thing folks remember, it, it it's your legacy. It's what you leave. It's what you stand for, what you stay with. So Jesus lays this down very specifically. And he goes on a little bit later in chapter 15. He's still talking to them. In chapter 15, he's he's gone all the way from uh, end of 13 all the way through 14 up through 15 actually on through 16 and then he prays a prayer in chapter 17 of just what he what he instructed them and told them but again he lays it down he says guys here's what I want you to understand here's what I want you to remember John 15 verse 11 these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This isn't my commandment. And he says it again, Jesus was one that reiterated, reiterated, reiterated. I could take a lesson from that because sometimes I feel bad if I ever repeat myself, (laughs) I always think I, I need to come with something fresh, something new. Jesus went over it and over it and over it and over it. He said this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, in that he lay down his life for his friends. I doubt if you're going to have to take a bullet from one of your friends, hang on a cross to demonstrate your love. You know how we lay our life down today? We give somebody time. Time is the very essence of your life. So when when I... When you send a question to me on Messenger or whatever, and I take time and answer that question, I'm, I'm in reality laying my life down for you. And you are for other people too. When you meet up with somebody for lunch because they're inquiring, they're wondering what the heck you're believing, what is this new stuff you're engaged in, and you just take time, you, you cannot call that time back. You cannot, so in a real essence, it's, it's laying your life down. And that's a demonstration of no greater love, Jesus said. You would think, let me make just a little shift. You'd think that after 2,000 years, we'd get the revelation of all this. But it seems like, for some reason, we have opted for doctrine and theology instead of the simple message that Jesus gave us to love one another as He's loved us. Saul, Saul, who became Paul, uh, he made a great switch. He was a doctrine man. I mean, he he went strong for doctrine. He upheld to the point he was willing to kill for it. In that ninth chapter of Acts, verse one, it starts out by by saying that this guy Saul was wreaking havoc with the church. He was trying to extinguish it. He was trying to. Prove that what he believed was right and he was going to eradicate all of this heresy and this false doctrine that was going on. But when Jesus confronted him, when love met him on the Damascus road, his life was changed in an instant. And I contend that when people meet love through you, when we're giving out the love of Jesus, we haven't put conditions on it, we haven't put qualifications, we just love them without saying enemy, tormentor, whatever, right? Paul underwent a deep conversion, and he went from the doctrine man to the love man. And he demonstrated, that's why he wrote that 13th chapter, no, no greater love, right? No greater love demonstrated than what he says in, in verse 13. In fact, Paul Paul says this in Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five, this, this is heavy, this is good. And this is going to explain maybe some things today. Galatians chapter five, verse six, it says for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. So he say, it, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter. The standards that you've tried to keep, they, it, it avails nothing. He said, but faith working by love, the circum- uncircumcision is a religious position. The faith which works by love and the the, the love there is the word agape. So faith works by love. You know what struck me this week? Man, this, this really hit me like a ton of bricks. Could it be that maybe our faith has not developed and we have not been able to receive by faith to the level that we would desire is because we have not had the fuel of love that has fired it up. He said faith which works by love. now Can you hear the Pharisees? Can you hear the church folks say, is that the only way faith works? I thought faith came by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Yeah, that's all fine. But you can't, you can't take and hear the word of God. If you're not hearing the message of love. I said earlier in the teaching that we need to make a distinction between belief and faith, and I want to do that. He said, faith works by love. Beliefs are, here's how I define a belief. Uh, and I jotted this down, so let me just read it to you. Beliefs are commonly held opinions that fully persuade a person or group. Commonly held opinions. All right? The Baptists have commonly held opinions. Presbyterians have commonly held opinions that they are persuaded of. Doggone it, this is right. They're fully persuaded of it. And they're 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 treated as certainties. They're kind of the The center post, they're the absolute, not up for question. A Baptist will tell you baptized by immersion, it's not up for question. And they're usually statements when somebody comes into that group, beliefs. They are are statements that somebody coming in must agree to to be part of that group. I used to take people through the discipleship class and before it was over, I'd say, here's what we believe. Do you believe the same? Can you say, I'm willing to put my hand to this and believe it? Okay. Now, faith on the other hand is a conviction that a cause of action is right and it's worth doing. It's, It's a conviction that a cause of action is right and worth doing. And it's usually lived out in uncertainty. Belief carries the tag of certainty. Faith has the tag of uncertainty, but you have confidence that the risk that the risk is worthwhile. All right. You, you can have a lot of beliefs, but little faith. You can have a lot of certainties, a lot of absolutes, but but you don't live in any uncertainty feeling that like this is a mystery, like it's worth pursuing. Or you can have little faith, or you can have little faith, have a lot of faith, in, and few beliefs. So you can have a lot of beliefs, little faith, or you can have lots of faith, and few beliefs. Now again, a belief is a commonly held opinion that is that fully persuades a people or group. Faith on the other hand is a conviction that a course of action is worth doing and it usually carries a degree of uncertainty. For example, Abraham was heavy in faith but he was light on beliefs. He was actually an idol worshiper from Mesopotamia. His his belief system was jacked up, messed up. He was not a worshiper of God. Think about this. He had no scripture, no church, no Bible, no doctor, no pastor, no atonement theory, no concept of heaven or hell. And God comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do. Faith took him on the journey. Faith led him on an adventure, even though he didn't know where he was going. He had no certainty except the faith as to what would take place. He became the father of faith and a demonstration and an example of faith. Jesus and Paul are good examples of leaving their traditions. They're set in concrete beliefs, the certainties that their religion held, and they left and they went into a a faith that works by love. So they said, we're going to come into this, this venture that we feel is worthwhile. There's some uncertainty to it. We're not sure everything we're going to encounter along the way. And love is going to be the thing that fuels it and is going to work this faith. The unity of the faith today, coming into a unity of the faith today, is not going to be based on tradition. It's not going to be based on doctrine or theology. It's not going to be based on on, on partisan belief systems. It's going to be based on one thing. The unity of the faith is going to be love. Faith which works by love. Unity of the faith. What's What's going to bring that about? Love. Faith works by love. You got it? So if you don't have love with faith, what you've got is somebody trying to perform it in their own flesh. I'm going to love everybody. You, you start out that way but you don't love anybody. Pretty soon you're fouled up in it. Jesus used faith which worked by love to become savior of the world. Paul used faith which works by love to turn the world upside down. And those that are manifesting as sons today are going to use it to see the restoration of all things. I, I honestly absolutely believe that. So in, in light of, of, of Jesus and Paul and John, uh, you'd think the, prim- the primacy of love would would be a settled matter, but it's not. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years after the demonstration by Jesus of this perfect love we still hold on to beliefs. We still hold on to tradition. We hold on to theology while love waits outside the door and it knocks and it wants entrance. It, it's, it's trying to come into to the situation. I don't think that and there's any church system today that we can view that can handle faith without works by love. We're going to see a destruction of that system. I, I hate to tell you but the shift that is going on today is a shift toward the practice of the love that Jesus demonstrated and Paul demonstrated and it's coming, it's not going to fit within that wineskin of the system. So already we're seeing the system break down. Church attendance is the lowest that it's ever been since it's been recorded. Most of us here have come outside the system. Things are rapidly changing. You know why they're changing? Because people are listening to the voice within. People are learning how to be led by the Spirit. A voice that only knows the language of love, but not just the language of love. It also knows the action. It knows the demonstration. It knows the outworking of love. Paul mailed it down in that 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to kind of close it out this morning. I want to read verses 4 through 8 in the Passion Translation. He says, Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly try to gain its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. You hear that? It, love does not take offense. Love is joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place. It's a shelter, for it stops believing, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love, love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Aren't you glad today for a father that never stopped loving us? See, the spirit of truth has brought us to a point where we got to make some choices. Are we ready to say that Christianity must no longer be defined by a belief system, by a theology, by a doctrine? Are are we willing to say that, but rather it got to be defined by a red-hot pursuit of the love that Jesus demonstrated? and lays out so well for us throughout the Gospels as to how we can actually live it out. We're we're seeing a shift, let me say it again, we're seeing a shift from teaching correct doctrine, from teaching theology to a a way of love as Jesus taught. We're we're seeing something come in today and those of us at the Digital Cathedral are seeing this. We're, We're learning how to walk this message out. And we're getting bold enough we're not intimidated anymore by what people say, their put-downs, their disagreements, their hassles, their fight, their pushback. That's not, that's not bothering us anymore. We're not intimidated by it. But we can continue to love in spite of it. So my, my prayer today is that this school of love would open the doors wide in the life of every person that has ever said, as Jesus is, so are we. In this world, Amen. All right, that's that's my last part on, um, uh, on the gospel without doctrines. Next week we're going to move on. Man, I hope this stuff penetrates you. This whole idea of of the gospel without doctrines has gripped me. It really has gripped me deep because I've been have been a belief man. I've been a doctor man, a theology guy. I, I, I hinge on a lot on thinking right, being right. But I'm telling you, when we demonstrate this walk of love, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ascend above everything else that we've ever believed. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. And don't forget, we meet Wednesday night on the Don Keithley Ministry page at 6 p.m. Central, right, for The Secret Place. See you Wednesday. See you back next week, Sunday. Have a good week.